Now it's time for the message. Timos Sweetos, come up here. That's Tim Sweetman in Greek, if you didn't know. I'm really fluent in Greek. Tim's gonna come bring a message for us this morning. And so I'm just gonna pray one last time for you, brother. Stretch out a hand, church. Lord, we just thank You for what You've been doing here this morning, God. And we just love being in Your presence. We love being together, being encouraged, coming together in faith, getting our eyes on You, Lord. And this morning, Father, as as Tim brings the Word, we pray that He would be blessed, that You would come and fall on Him in Your power and speak Your words of life and truth into our hearts, words that bring transformation and life. In Jesus' Name we pray. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together. Welcome him. Come on. Morning, everyone. Thanks, uh, Danos Perkos. If we're going to use the Greek, I'll tell you one thing. Phanos fitnessos is not in the Greek. That's an English thing. That's an English thing. That's for sure. <laughs> Dan told me through the week that um, this is actually closer to the actual date of the 10-year anniversary. So, thanks for inviting me up to be your anniversary speaker. (laughs) Really cool. Well, we'll be back here partying with you next weekend as well. Have you ever noticed in life that sometimes there's things you can only enter into Not by more of the same effort, but by a shifting of effort. Like sleeping. And never forget the the first Scripture Union holiday camp I went on. I was 14. It was at Wapper Falls uh, campsite up in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. And there were six of us 14-year-olds in the dorm. And it was getting late on the first day. And we're in our dorm ready to bunk down. And, and, and our dorm leader burst in and said, G'day, everybody. My name's Brett. I'm your dorm leader for the week. And I've got a Mars bar for the first one of you blokes that goes off to sleep. <laughs> like a Mars bar on an SU holiday camp may as well be a bar of gold bullion. You know what I mean? Like in four, six of us, 14-year-olds, and we all just flat out like this. And we're all going, go to sleep. Come on, go to sleep. Get to sleep. A couple of minutes later, I'm like, is anyone asleep yet? No, no one was. I'm like, you've still got a chance. Go to sleep. (laughs) You know, I learned that. I learned that week. You can't go to sleep by trying to go to sleep. You, you 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 can't try harder to go to sleep. You have to shift your effort. You can't try harder to go to sleep. You've got to try harder to relax. Relax and go to sleep. You've got to shift your effort. Same with drumming. Uh, I'm a drummer, for those that you don't know. Have been from way back. I did bring some photographic evidence in case nobody believed me. There we go. There's some shots from my drumming career. I don't know. If I, oh, there we go. I got a little demo. The basis of drumming is rudiments. Right, I don't know if you've ever heard of rudiments, but there's one that's just called singles, and that's like right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. You'll get your head around it before too long. Right, left, right, left, right, left. That's it. There's a rudiment called doubles, and that's just right, right, left, left, 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 
There's paradiddles, paradiddles. Right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, right, There's double paradiddles. Right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, right, Okay, let's pray. That's the message. No. Thing is, with rudiments, the faster you can get them and the evener, more even, whatever, you know what I'm talking about, you can get, the better you'll play. It's the basis for all playing. So you do all these exercises while you're doing paradiddles, try and make it all sound even and fast, and the, and the faster you can do it, the more able you are as a player and the more you can get the right arms in the right places on the kit without looking like an octopus going wrong <laughs> on the drum kit. You know what I mean? And rudiments, the thing is, um, uh, by the way, that's the demonstration done. The thing is, with rudiments, you cannot get them faster by trying to get them faster. You practice and practice your rudiments. And if you get to the limit of your speed and you think, right, now I'm going to try to go faster. What you do is you just, you just tell your arms, go faster, arms. And your fingers, go faster. You know what happens to them? They just tense up. And they fatigue. And actually, if you keep trying to make rudiments fast in that way, you'll actually slow down and you'll get worse. There is only one way to speed up rudiments when you're playing the drums. And it is actually to shift your effort and to practice, but practice while you're trying to relax. Relax. Shift your effort from what you were doing, that which has become a barrier to you entering your new day. Shift your effort. Stop doing that. Shift your efforts to relax. It's not no effort. It's shift your effort. It's still effort, but it is different effort, a release from the old ways that are burdensome and that have become your very limit and shift your effort to relax, learn a new way and enter your desired new horizon. As I prayed and prepared ahead of today, it's this idea, these beautiful words from Jesus, I think, today. Shift your effort. Shift your effort. I think it is significant. It comes on the back of a beautiful season of prayer and fasting in the church. Shift your effort. Let go of ways with me that you've done, serve with me. Then you've known in relating to me, let go of all ways. Shift your effort to really see where this comes from in the word. We're going to this story in Luke chapter 10. It's verse 38 to 42. If you're following along, I can probably move that back now. Just let scripture just wash over you this morning. Luke chapter 10, 38, 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, 
Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. I don't know the sermons you've heard about this passage, but this morning we're going to focus in on Martha. This is really a story about Martha, right? Because it says that as Jesus entered a certain village, that Martha welcomed him into her house. So this is Martha's choice. This is how Martha chose to serve Jesus with what Martha had. It's like Martha was saying, wow, this is so cool. Jesus has come to our village. And in part, she said, I love that you visited Jesus. Please, please let me welcome you into my house. You and your disciples, let me host you. Let me get the food. Let me get the drinks. Let me make sure everyone has a place to seat. Let, 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 me, let me do all that. And she just elevated. Like she just chose to elevate and she got busy. That's where Martha was at. And side note here too, she has a sister. So while Martha chooses to serve like that, it says she has a sister Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Note that, all right? Note it and just park it over there. We're coming back to that. Now back to frenetic whirlwind Martha who'd chosen to serve Jesus by hosting him and his disciples and probably more at her house. That's, that's no small thing, is it? That's Jesus and 12 people and probably a little bit more of an entourage as well who were travelling with him. That's like, that's a lot. That's busy. And it says, Martha was distracted. Now, that's not distracted like we think of distracted as Struggling to keep her eye and mind on the job at hand because of YouTube. Like that's, it's not the kind of distracted that we're talking about. It, it's distracted. It literally means she was all overcumbered. <sighs> she was all over, drawn out. She was tired. Martha was grumpy, like grumpy. Martha was taken away from the essence of what was going on in the moment. That's what distracted means here. And that is coming from the Greek. Yeah, that is. But look at what she was distracted by. March serving. Put this together. See what's going on for Martha here. Martha is distracted from Jesus because of her much serving of Jesus. Whoa. Martha could not enter into the significance of what Jesus was doing in his visit because Martha was getting food for Jesus. Martha was distracted. She, she couldn't just enjoy that. because She couldn't just be with Jesus because of her serving with Jesus, she was distracted. She was completely covered. She was all round drawn out from Jesus because she was serving Jesus. Hmm. I, I, I kind of, there's something in that. 
for us today. Isn't there? There is. And so let's just take a moment here to think about what is going on for Martha. What do you think informed Martha's ideas of how she should serve Jesus? What do you think were the background factors and influences around Martha that shaped her idea of what she thought she should do when Jesus arrived? Can you imagine? Can we do maybe a little bit of audience participation safely? What do you think it was? Anyone? Has it a guess? It's not just one thing. What do you think shaped her idea? Culture. Thank you. Culture. Martha's a Jew. There's a strong motive for hospitality, for travelling people in the Jewish culture. Anything else? Anything else? Personality. She's wired for this. That's what she's been told. Yeah. I missed one over here. Desire to serve. Her own ideas. Her own zeal for Jesus. Her own ideas of, hey, this is what I should do. Um, she's generous. She's, yep, she's got this generous spirit. She's a, can I, I'll give you a hint on this one. She's a woman. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, mate. A few emails coming your way this week. She's a woman and Jesus is a man rabbi. Mm. So if hospitality is strong in the culture, then who does it fall to? The woman. The woman. Put all this together. There's a strong cultural motive for hospitality to be given by a travelled rabbi. The men go and sit with the rabbi. The woman serves. All this is going on in Martha's background. Pushed along by her own heart and zeal for the Lord. And so she accepts. My place is to do this. And I do admit possibly to... I don't want to read in too much to the background of what may or may not be going on. It's a short chapter. It's a long sermon. I've got to come up with something, you know. But <laughs> Martha's upset with what Mary chose, right? Doesn't that give us some idea that she has this strong idea of what she should do for Jesus? Because she knows what she shouldn't do. Because she's just upset with Mary. So she chooses this. But note this. How she chose to serve Jesus in this way, it was heavy. It was heavy for her. It literally drove her to distraction. It wore her out. It took her away from what was really going on with Jesus' visit. I mean, she wanted to serve Jesus, but in how she chose to do it, she was all overcumbered. And she was tired. And it was overwhelming. I think this would be a good moment to just pause and stop for a little bit and ask ourselves that question we just asked of Martha. 
What are the background factors of your life that lead you or that contribute to your ideas of how you should relate to Jesus and how you should serve Jesus? Take a moment to just consider your life, the context you're in. What are the factors that are contributing to the idea that you've accepted is the way for you to relate to Jesus or the way for you to serve Jesus? You know, for me, when I think of that question, I've I've had a long season of pastoral ministry and for vast amounts of that time, I only could see people who worked themselves to the bone to do pastoral ministry successfully. I've been seasoned by that. It was heavy to such an extent that I was exactly like Martha, working myself to the bone, not being able to enter into what Jesus was doing because I was so distracted and all overcumbered. That was me. Do I need to, like, and here's another for me. It's like a really strong familial influence for me. My last name's Sweetman. I don't go into a church without describing my family tree to someone. When I go and guest preach, I keep meeting people who actually think I'm someone else who they've met before. And they tell me about my life (laughs) and what I do. There's this strong familial. And when I stepped into pastoral ministry, man, it's like I stepped into a script that was already written for me. My family background is a blessing to me and it's been heavy sometimes. There is conditioning. What about you? What are the things that are shaping your ideas of what you do to be in relationship with Jesus? And what's the conditioning, religious or cultural or church or familial or your own? Like, What, what is it that's informing how you should serve Jesus? And how you live for him. You know, the only way that Martha could see in her paradigm of serving Jesus to kind of make it better, you know. She's not feeling great. All overcumbered is not the best feeling, is it really? She's trying to make it better. And so the only way she knew was to just try and keep finding a way that she could keep doing what she was doing. That's why she comes to Jesus. She's like, I'm not going well here, but I'm serving Jesus. I've got to find out how to do this. So she goes to Jesus and she approached him and she said, Lord, do you, she speaks to him, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone, right? So you've got to hear Martha's heart cry there. Jesus, do you even see what's going on? Like there's a lot of people sitting there, but, but I'm doing all the work. And I'm not having a good time of this and I'm going under. Do you see it? Or if you see it, is it that you don't care? That's what Martha's saying. Is it that you don't see or is it that you don't care? Do The demand is clear. Do something for me, Jesus, so I can keep serving you in the way that I've decided to serve you. And we, we, we go, that's a bit funny, but we do it, don't we? How many times I've sat there on a Saturday night going, Jesus, I don't want to prepare this sermon for me. It's for you. And I don't know what to say. You've got to give me something. You've got to, oh, this sermon's got to be like this. It's got to be something. You do it. And I cry out to him like that. Not last night, by the way. It was nice. It was nice. 
The next thing Martha, Martha does to ease her burden of serving, this one's like really classic. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. She's talking to Jesus. She's ordering him. You, Jesus, Rabbi. <laughs> tell my sister to get her for her lazy bottom. <laughs> That's what she's saying. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Make my lazy good for nothing, Sister Mary. Get off her butt from doing nothing and help me serve you. We go there, don't we? Maybe not quite like that, but I'll tell you what, when you're strung out in a ministry somewhere, it's easy to go, you know, this job would be a lot easier if so-and-so over there would get off his butt and do something like that to help. We get cranky with the people around us when we have a hard time serving how we've chosen to serve. Disappointingly, I'd expect for Martha, Jesus didn't do either of those things. Can you believe it? He didn't do it. But it is pretty cool what he did do. As Martha came and she absolutely flat out demanded Jesus do these things. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you know, Martha, hey, 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 Martha, don't miss the significance of her name repeated twice, like addressed personally by Jesus. He Jesus is breaking into her frenetic whirlwind of overwhelmed, chaotic activity. That's what he's doing. It's Jesus calling Martha into that moment that she didn't think she would have because she was distracted from him, remember? And she asked if he even saw or cared what was going on for her because she did not think she was under Jesus' gaze. She thought he, she was doing all this and he didn't even know. And he comes and says to her, Martha, Ma- Ma- Martha, hear it? Stop, Martha. Come. Come here. Come here. I want to spend a moment with you. It's beautifully empathetic. It's so compassionate. And then he nails it and he says, you are worried about a great many things. And I'll almost bet that Martha went to right I am. You have no idea how many things I'm holding and juggling and serving you. So this is like honing straight into where she is. It's beautiful compassion and empathy. It's calling Martha into a moment with him. And then it's also revelatory in that moment for her. Stop all that, Martha, just for a moment. Martha, Martha, look what's going on for you. You're just, you, you, boy, are you weighed down. You're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing's needed. Just, you worry about many things. One, one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I would imagine for a moment that Martha was, um, well, offended. 
offended by what Jesus said. Like, I wonder if Martha was like, what? Mary, Mary has chosen the better effort of serving over the way that I've chosen for you. I wonder if she also kind of went, Psst, Jesus, <laughs> she's not doing anything. <laughs> yes, she's chosen the better. She's, Mary, she's doing nothing while I do all the work. Don't you think that's probably what Martha's initial reaction might have been to Jesus? And then it's the end of the story. That's it. Did he not say anything more after that? And if he did, it's not recorded. And so that's just where it's kind of left. But isn't this just like Jesus to drop what is the beginning of new perspective and revelation that blows your mind. And then, unlike a good preacher these days, he just leaves it like that. <laughs> you work it out. <laughs> You'll be okay. All you need is the revelation. It's so true over time when revelations drop, we can't, we're changed. That's when it happens. You can't go back to what you like to unknowing. Revelation, that's what happens. However, if I was to have an educated guess today on what Jesus might have said if he explained it, I think it would have gone something like this. Martha, despite what it looks like to you, Mary is not doing nothing. Hmm. In fact, I think Jesus might have said, in some ways, Martha, Mary has actually taken the more courageous and action-filled path to respond as she has in this moment than what you have. Maybe Jesus said, see, Martha, Mary is actually under exactly the same set of cultural expectations and religious conditioning and gender conditioning as you are. Martha, Mary's a woman in this village, Martha, Mary, this is her place too. Martha, Mary, all of the same sort of expectation and stuff that's on you is on her. All the stereotypes, all the expectations, all the voices, they're all on her as well. But she, in this one moment when I came to visit, she, for a moment, decided to actively push all that effort just aside. Notice Jesus doesn't ever label it as wrong, but he just calls it a different effort. She has just pushed all that aside for the moment at the risk of being perceived by you as lazy, which you do, by the way, Martha. <laughs> and she's chosen to also, and see that word, also, sit at my feet and hear my word. Now, that phrase is really important to understand because we do go there with this picture of Mary, don't we, of sit at Jesus' feet. It sounds, oh, doesn't that sound nice? Sounds like, well, Martha's like in this flapping frenzy of serving that Mary's like in another room with Jesus just lays him back on the beanbag going, yo, Martha. 
You go, girl. How's the serving? Just sitting here with Jesus. Oh, my drink's run out. Martha. I'll go another thanks while I just sit over here with Jesus. That's the picture. There's something nice about that picture. Hey. And I don't want to disappoint you. But that's not what was going on for Mary. It's not the picture. That's why that word also is important. Mary was also sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his words. Who, who, who was the also? Who else was sitting at Jesus' feet in, in that moment? Who, who was this also? It was the disciples, wasn't it? Yeah. They had learned to also, together, sit at the feet of Jesus. And you know, that didn't mean doing nothing. Actually, for them, that meant that instead of just relating with God, how they were conditioned to and how they'd accepted to relate, instead of just serving God how they used to, they'd actually learned that they needed to break from that and to sit at Jesus' feet, not to have a holiday and sip on lovely drinks, but to actually hear Jesus' direct revelation for them about what it truly is to worship God and about what it truly is for them in their day to be in relationship with Jesus and about what it truly is to be in the kingdom and see kingdom come and to, and to understand right from direct revelation to Jesus to them about their part in kingdom come. Now, sometimes this was a freeing from the old way of doing in the life of the disciples. Like sometimes to do with things like fasting and other sorts of things, Jesus had a very, you can lay that down for a time and do it another way. Other times it meant Jesus asked them to do things that actually required more from them than they'd ever had to do in their lives before and stuff that was uncomfortable. But it was all happening in this beautiful, close relationship, one-on-one with Jesus, where what he asked them to do and how he asked them to live was couched in his care, in a giving of his power, and in this beautiful lightness of learning all the time with Jesus about who they were and how they were truly to live with Jesus. So it's like Jesus was saying to Martha, Martha, you can keep going in the frenetic whip of accepting all that you understand thus far of what you should be doing for me. But it doesn't seem to be going well. Or you can shift your effort You can let go for a moment of everything that you've been doing and everything of the experience of that that is for you. You can just sort of put that down for a moment to do what Mary's done and push aside cultural expectation, gender stereotype, religious conditioning, maybe familial lines. You can let that go in order for you to come and sit afresh with me and hear my words for you for you and I can breathe and speak over you which I love to do and I can show you a new way that will be freeing and light 
yet kingdom profound and purposeful beyond what you've ever imagined. That was the invitation for Martha. I've got a bit of a swimming background. I spent my childhood and teenage years jumping in a pool at five o'clock in the morning and training before going off to school and then Friday nights was club night right and and so we'd have these competitions and I'd swim the 50 freestyle and I'd swim the 50 breaststroke and I'd do the backstroke and the butterfly and then there'd be the freestyle relay and the medley relay and then the night would finish off with a 100 meter event and by the time that 100 meter event came round Like, I wasn't really interested anymore. I was a bit tired. And I was a sprinter. You know, 50 metres for me is enough. Um, And then they finished the night with 100. So this one night, I just sort of thought, as I walked past from the end of the pool, past my coach in the stands, um, I'm I'm just going to give the 100 a miss. And I'm walking by, and that's when I heard her voice. Sweetman, you're doing the 100. (laughs) I was like, no. I said, I, I always do the 100. Can you just, just give me a night off from the 100? No, sweet man, you're doing the 100. Get up there, do the 100. And so as I walked back to the end of the pool to do the 100, I thought, fine, I'll do your 100. <laughs> but I'm not doing it like I usually do. I thought, I'm going to treat this like a warm down like we do at training. You know, you used to like to get the warm down, you touch the bottom of the pool a few times and just, oh, that's how I'm going to do this hundred. So I dived in and I thought, I'm just taking it so easy in this first 50. I'm just doing long, easy strokes. I didn't care whatever else was going on around me. Swimmers were going for it. I'm just like, oh, I'm loving this hundred. <laughs> I turned for the second 50 and I thought, hey, I've still got, I've got some energy in the tank here. I thought, but I don't care. I'm just going to concentrate on my stroke. My long, just straight, breathe comfortably. I thought, I'll even drop it back to a two-beat kick. You know, usually do six. I thought, hey, let's finish the night with a two-beat. What could be nicer? Two-beat kick, <laughs> long strokes, glided in to the end of the pool. Felt so refreshed. And I didn't want to look up to this thing because I knew my coach would be like, what was that? And she did. She yells out without even me looking up. Well, wasn't that the most relaxed hundred you've ever swum? <laughs> and you beat your personal best by a second, she said. <laughs> I learned something that night. There's a profound thing about shifting your effort that we don't get. We try and try and try in the ways we've always envisaged and accepted for ourselves and we call out to Jesus, help, help Jesus, make me stronger, make lazy people around me get stuff done. (laughs) His invitation is shift your effort. Let go, let go of burdensome. Heavy. Let go of that way that said when you want to stop, you just have to elevate the effort and keep going. Let it go. 
it will become the thing that burdens you. It will become the thing that limits where you go with Jesus. It will become the thing that blinds you to learning new things with him. It will keep you distracted from him so you never hear his revelation over you and how he wants you to serve. For a moment, and I'm sorry if there's a mass exodus from your ministry team who was up here this morning. <laughs> for a moment, push all that aside. Just imagine for a moment, you might, I don't know, just bow your head and close your eyes if you want, but just imagine that Jesus entered our village today. Imagine he walks through those doors at the back and we all know instantly that's him. He's, he's in the room. And then imagine as you think, well, there's a lot of people here. I don't imagine he'll be coming to me. Imagine that he does. And he sits down next to you in one of these seats and he locks eyes with you. And that's a moment you weren't expecting to have with Jesus today because usually you think you're unseen. And unnoticed. And he says your name while he looks at you. And he says your name again. And this time it gets your attention. And he says to you, you are tired and worn out and worried and troubled in how you are with me and how you've been serving me about so many things and then he pauses without distracting you from your moment with Jesus I want to ask what's he referring to in you what are the many things what's the burden what's the all round cumbered and worn out what are the things he's referring to for you just draw them to mind. Feel the gentleness of his hand on your shoulder. And he just has the most irresistible love and gentleness in his eyes that you cannot break your gaze from. And he smiles at you. And he says your name again and again. And in this moment, he says, just press pause on all of that. All that effort. Just step out of the frenetic of how you've been doing things, of what it is you've been holding. And just for a moment, give yourself permission to stop laboring and put it all down. Shift your effort. Shift your effort to come to sit just with me, Jesus says. It's not doing nothing. It is a courageous act of pushing expectation and perception aside from anything that's on you, from church or family or gender or religious conditioning or cultural, just to come and sit with me. He says, I promise I will speak over you. It's not will I speak, it's I will speak. I will give you new revelation. I will show you more about yourself. I will show you more about me. I will let you live in a lightness like you don't dare believe is real. And I will tell you and lead you in fulfilling kingdom purposes 
and promises and things that are more powerful and profound than you would ever imagine for yourself. That's the good part. That's the good part. And this invitation is yours today. Jesus says, if you choose it, I promise I will do this. I promise I will for you. Just while we're still in this quiet, we don't know what Martha did from here. It's not recorded. We do hear from her again in the Bible. But we don't know what she did after this moment. And I wonder, did she find it too offensive? Or did she find it too unsettling? It is very settling to let go of the conditioning that we've only ever known. Really unsettling. And did she find it too unsettling? Did she think, well, that sounds really good, Jesus, but I've just got to get lunch. And off she went. Or did she say to Jesus, that actually sounds really good, Jesus, and you might go hungry, but I'm taking you up on that. And did she leave her frenetic pacing for a while and go and sit with her sister Mary before Jesus and have new, beautiful revelations spoken over her that led her in a new way? I like to think it's the latter. And I think today, Jesus wants to lift for you burdens in what you have chosen to do for him that come from conditioning and cultural expectation and religious conditioning, gender stereotypes, familial generational expectations. And he wants to, he's pointing them out and he's saying, I'm lifting them. You can be released from them. And I believe he's inviting you into a place that maybe you haven't sat with him before in, in saying, oh, Jesus, I'm pushing all that aside. I'm just going to sit with you. I'm going to sit at your feet and I'm going to hear your words and we're going to do it like that from now on. What we would usually do now is have a last song and then all go. But as today is a day where we're not doing what we're usually conditioned to do, Surprise. We're just going to sit with him. Our song's going to play. And whatever you would normally do in worship, whether you would, I don't know, sing, kneel, whatever, don't, don't do it. Don't do it today. Unless it really does come from this place of Jesus, I'm just doing this for you. You might want to take a seat on a floor somewhere. You might want to kneel. You might want to stay exactly where you are. But I just want to say, just be freed in this next little while. And we are just going to sit with Jesus and see what comes with him. As you push every expectation aside and just sit with him. Jesus, thank you. No one does it like you. I, I'm serious. I don't know anyone who does it like you. How can you get incredible kingdom things done in a way that is so freeing and restful and yet powerful and profound? How can you ask more of us than has ever been asked before, but also us know this joy and rest with you as it happens? I don't know anybody who can do it like you. And I know, I know there's more for us to enter into, more. I pray for 100%, 100% anointed today in you showing us a new way of serving you. Lift expectation and unhealthy conditioning. Free people here today 
and usher us to your feet into a place where we know nothing but your power, your love, your gentleness and compassion and know nothing but what it is more to serve you with everything we've got in profound ways. Come, Holy Spirit. Do that now as we sit before you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.